All right, 2 Samuel chapter 8. Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. And as we go to your word right now, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we don't want the words or the opinions of man, but we know that the word of God goes forth with power. We, lo- we pray, Lord, that it would minister to every heart. And Lord, we do pray for our nation. We pray for the world right now, Lord, that so desperately needs you. I pray you would use this pandemic, even this, for your kingdom and for your glory. Help us, Lord, to get our eyes off of ourselves and keep our eyes on you. Lord, we pray for those that are sick and dealing with this, Lord. We pray your healing touch, but more importantly, we pray for a supernatural healing that they'd come to know you. And Lord, as we go to your word right now, be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. So last week, on last Thursday night in in chapter 7, we looked at accepting God's will. And if you'll remember what was taking place, King David is now finally king over all of Israel after uh, more than a decade of running from Saul, after being uh, anointed by God but still having to wait a great deal of time, a great lesson for us. Just because God has a calling on our life, it doesn't mean it's all going to take place right away. Sometimes we have to wait for God's perfect timing. And now he's finally king over all of Israel. He's united the, you know, the 12 tribes all together. He's going to continue to do battle in tonight's text. But last week we saw, one of the things we saw was learning to accept God's will by always putting God first. And the first thing that has to happen, we'll talk about this more tonight, is getting out of our comfort zone and learning to trust in the Lord, to seek first his kingdom, to have the heart of a servant, to leave a godly legacy, and to stay humble. But if you remember, one of the things that David wanted to do is I imagine him looking at his house. You know, he had a great uh, mansion built for him in Jerusalem. He brought, the, he brought the capital back where it belonged. He was obviously listening to the Lord. But he looked at his house that was made and was beautiful, uh, and he looked at the house, the tent, where the Ark of the Covenant was housed, and it broke his heart. And his thought was, how can I live in such a fine place and where God's presence dwells, where the, where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the sacrifices take place, he has a tent. And so he cried out and said to the Lord that he wanted to build him a temple. And initially, we saw that Nathan agreed with him. And then he came back and told him, you know, basically God said no. And you know what? Sometimes, guys, God's going to say no. We're going to desire to do something, and even what we desire may be a really good thing, but it may not be what God has for us. Maybe someone else is supposed to do it, or maybe God wants us to do it, but at a later time. And so David, instead of sulking and moping because he doesn't you know, get what he wants, didn't take his ball and go home, amen, instead what he did is he began to gather the materials together, and he even put together the, you know, the architecture, if you will, for whoever was going to build the temple. Now, he knows it's going to be one of his sons. He doesn't know which one yet. We all know because we know that what the Word of God says. It's going to be Solomon. But David is not bitter against God because he doesn't get what he wants. He instead is faithful to prepare for something that he's never even going to see. And guys, we just need to learn to have that heart, the heart of a servant. And so I titled the message, if you have your outline, grab it. Um, you can look at it on your phones, like I said, or on your screen, because uh, I, I loaded on my web, on my Facebook page. I tell the message, it's time to enter into the battle. Now, one thing about David, he's, he's a man after God's own heart, but David has kind of been a roller coaster ride in some of the past chapters. You know, we got chapters where, and we're going to talk about this again tonight, where he slays Goliath, 
We got chapters where, you know, he is faithfully serving the Lord, even though spears are being thrown at him. We see him, even though he's hiding in caves, he doesn't take advantage and kill Saul when he has the opportunity to. But then we also see see him pretending to be crazy. And we see him lying to the priest. And then we see him camping out with the enemy, with the Philistines. And, and so we see that David's life can be kind of like ours sometimes. That sometimes we're, we're, you know, we're really on fire for the Lord. If we're not careful, though, we can get caught up in the flesh and we can kind of walk away. Well, in tonight's chapter, David's going to be back in the battle full speed. And I tell the message, it's time to enter into the battle to live a life that the Lord has called you to. See, God had this calling upon David's life and he spent some of that time distracted. He's allowed the circumstances to get his eyes and his passion off where it needs to be and to focus on other things. He's allowed himself to get worried and to become fearful at times. He's allowed himself again to flee from the people he was called to minister to and go dwell with the enemy. So how do you and I get back into the battle that God's called us to? All we got to do is look around the world right now, and we see that people are living in times of fear and anxiety and worry and despair, and they don't have the hope that we do because they don't know the Prince of Peace. They don't have the promise of eternal life. They're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They don't know that in the end, God wins. Amen? And because of that, they need to be ministered to. And guess who's God's called to do that? It's you and me. And each of us has spheres of influence that maybe nobody else has. You may be the only believer in certain people's lives. And so how do we enter into this battle? How do we live the life that the Lord has called us to? Number one, by waking up to God's calling upon your life. Now, the way you do that is you got to get back to your first love. Some of us have some extra time on our hands. Uh, It may be unfortunate from the world's perspective. We may have lost our jobs. I know there's a lot of people dealing with that. And we're here to minister to you and we're praying for you and we're trusting God to provide for you. But you know what? If you have some extra time on your hands right now, it's a good time to get back in the Word of God, amen? It's a good time to make the, the Word of God the priority and passion. For every hour you spend watching Netflix, spend an hour in the Word. Can I get an amen? And so right now is a good time to do that. Get back to your first love. That's where it all begins. Remember that it's all about Jesus. Take your focus off your circumstances and the trial of life and start doing the things the Lord has called you to do. So first of all, wake up to God's calling upon your life. We're going to see that in tonight's text. Then number two, Step out in faith, trusting God to show up in a powerful way. It's been said, you've heard me say it, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And there needs to be a time when we are willing to step out in faith, to get out of our comfort zone so that God might use us. To just say, here I am, Lord, send me. Use me. And we don't even know how that might be. God may start putting it on your heart. Maybe if you go to church here, you can go through the church directory and start praying for everybody. Maybe the Lord's going to have you just be sensitive to pick up the phone and call somebody. You know, so there's pe- maybe there's people in our church that can't get to the grocery store. Maybe we can help them. Maybe it's just someone in your neighborhood. Just to get out of our comfort zone and allow the Lord to use us for his kingdom and for his glory. We need to learn to live every day trusting the promises of God and believe that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. So point number one, waking up to God's calling upon your life. Number two, step out in faith, trusting God to show up in a powerful way. Number three, Seek to do God's will, God's way, and for his glory. See, guys, when we come to the Lord and we truly surrender to him, what he may call us to do may not be the thing that we want to do. We need to learn to do what God calls us to do and do it for his glory, not ours. Amen? To remember that whatever we do, we do that God may be glorified, that his name may be magnified, that people may be drawn unto him, not unto us. And so you can find out if somebody's really called by 
by how they respond when they don't get the credit they think they deserve or when nobody mentions them. Well, guess what? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Amen? And we're going to see that in tonight's text. And then finally, by learning to give ministry away. You know, the success of a ministry is not how it functions when you're there, but how it functions when you're not. And King David, we're going to see in tonight's text, as he goes out and God's going to use him, we're going to see in tonight's text the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis 15. He said, I'm giving you all of this land. And for the first time since Genesis 15, tonight is going to be the time when David goes out and conquers all of those lands and brings them all back together under the banner of Israel. It's the hand of God, the power of God, and praise God for it. But when he does that, he's going to have to learn to give ministry away. And a lot of ministries die because one person tries to do things they're not called to do. They try to do too much, and they're not willing to let others use their gifts. And we're going to see that tonight, David is faithful to do just that. So let's begin there. It's time to enter the battle, to live the life the Lord has called you to. Let's begin there in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 8. It says, After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Metheg Amma from the hand of the Philistines. Now the Philistines have been a thorn in the flesh of Israel for centuries. They have been that nemesis for the children of Israel. They've been that enemy that has destroyed cities in Israel. They've been that enemy that have killed some of the kings of Israel, defeated some of the kings of Israel. And the Philistines have always seemed to be the ones that were chasing Israel. They were always the ones overpowering Israel. And now David is finally king. He's not just anointed, he's been appointed, he's on the throne. The 12 tribes are back together. He's already won some other battles to bring them all together. And I want you to notice that this is the only other time where the children of Israel attacked the Philistines was back in 1 Samuel 17. And that was when David fought Goliath. If you'll remember, again, even then, the Israelites were shaking in their boots out of fear of the Philistines. They were mounted up in the valley of Elon. On one side was the army of the Philistines, and on the other side was the army of Israel. King Saul was their king at the time, but he was a petrified king. He was a fearful king, and he was out of God's will. God had already ripped the kingdom from him and told him it was going to be given to another. And he was afraid to do what he was called to do. He was the champion they had elected because he was tall and good looking and they wanted a king like everybody else had one. Well, Goliath, 11 foot 750, comes down in his armor 40 days and 40 nights and challenges the children of Israel. And every time he comes down with that baritone voice, no doubt, at 11 foot 750 and defies them to come down, they're all shaking in their boots and nobody will step up. 40 days and 40 nights, nobody stepped up. Nobody stood up for the God of Israel. Nobody stood up for the truth. They all cowered in fear. King Saul was so afraid that he offered bribes. Hey, if anybody will go fight him, you can have my daughter. And no taxes for the rest of your life. And then a shepherd boy, by divine appointment, is sent by his father, Jesse, to bring cheese to his brothers. And when he hears... Goliath come down and challenge the children of Israel because when David showed up, as you've heard me say many times, the Holy Spirit enters the camp. And what happens? 
David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against, defies the God of Israel? And David goes out and fights him. They tried to put armor on him, tried to make him do it the world's way, and he did it based on what God had prepared him to do. See, David was a shepherd preparing for Goliath when he didn't know Goliath was coming. And right now, what you're going through in life is always preparation to some degree to what God has in your future. Know that no suffering is wasted. Know that no difficulty that you may be going through right now is going to be wasted. God can use even that for his glory. And David was being prepared when he was killing lions and bears and protecting the sheep when no one was watching. He was being prepared for this mighty battle that would take place when everyone was watching. And David goes out in faithfulness, and as we all know, he slays Goliath. And imagine 11 foot, 750 pounds, timber, hitting the ground. What a loud noise it must have made. The dust kicks up, and then the dust clears, and there's David standing, holding up with both hands the head of Goliath. And what happens? These guys who've been afraid 40 days and 40 nights, all of a sudden they've got great boldness, and David starts to chase the Philistines. The Philistines start to run, and all the children of Israel, for the first time, are running after the Philistines instead of running away from them. Now we fast forward more than a decade, there's never been another time other than when Jonathan went with his armor bearer and challenged a, a, a group, a garrison of, of some of the Philistines and defeated them. The rest of the time, it's always the Philistines pursuing Israel. It's always the Philistines bringing fear. Even King Saul would be hiding under a tree and, they're, and they see the army mounting up and he gets fearful. But now I love this verse because it says, it came to pass that David, what's the word there? It's attacked. He went after the Philistines. And I want to say as Christians, it's not a passive relationship we have with God. We don't just sit back and wait for God to do something. Guys, we need to be proactive in our relationship with the Lord. Can I get an amen? We need to be proactive in spending time in the word, proactive in our prayer life, proactive in using our gifts for the kingdom of God and for his glory. And David is going to be that man who finally steps up and is unafraid. See, David, it's, it's interesting because he's kind of gone back to the first Samuel 17 David. That same David that wasn't afraid of Goliath is now the, and has seen God brought victory against Goliath is now the same David who is, has no fear of the Philistines. When everybody else is afraid, David's not. And guys, that should be us. We've said it every time we've had a service since this started. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen? And when we're not fearful, it's because we know that God is faithful. And David is stepping out in faith to fight the Philistines because God had told him that, he would, that this is the land that was promised to the children of Israel. And David's going to step out in faith, and God's going to do an awesome thing. Now notice that word there. It says, he, uh, and David took Metheg Amma, and that's actually Gath. It's the city of Gath. It tells us in 1 Chronicles, the companion text, after this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines, subdued them, and took, took Gath and its town from the hand of the Philistines. Now, it's interesting that uh, Methag Amma means mother city. And the mother city, or the greatest city for the Philistines, was Gath. We know that's where Goliath was from. It's also this, the town where David stayed part of the time when he had fled into the Philistine territory. Now he goes from being a resident of Gath to someone who's going to conquer that city. Notice, I want you to know this about Gath. It was their largest city with the greatest fortress 
And David went after it and went after it with confidence because if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? You plus God is the majority. And again, he steps out in faith and he's taken it to the Philistines. He attacks them again in their foremost city and their strongest fortress. He's seen God bring victory against Goliath and trusted that God would bring it again. And David no longer is confused about where he stands. We've seen David have moments. He, went, he was going to go into battle with the Philistines against Israel at one point. Now, we don't know if he was really going to do it, but he was lining up with them like he was. And David has gotten back to where he needs to be. And maybe that's what some of us need to do. Maybe some of us have been so distracted and we're so worried about everything else that we've kind of lost track of the priority and passion of our life, which is Jesus Christ above everything else. Amen? And that our calling to follow God and obey him and to serve him and to look for opportunities for the gospel, that needs to come back to the forefront again. And David is finally back in that place. David is in a place where he knows he's God's man. He's the anointed king. He's a mighty warrior. He's doing God's will without fear or hesitation. He's going to defeat Israel's armies. He's going to expand Israel's territory. And again, he went from a, a man who was feigning insanity, who lived in fear and faithlessness and frustration, to a mighty man of God. And why? Because he was walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you something. If you are walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, if you're spending time daily in God's word, if you're staying desperate for God, you will not walk in fear. You will not be anxious. You will not be worried, at least not for long. God God will give you victory over that. And David is going to subdue the Philistines. He has done it. He's taking control over the greatest and most formidable enemy that they have. See, that would be a great chapter, right? Verse 1, he defeated the Philistines. He conquered the greatest city. He took possession of it. After all these battles, the Philistines have been subdued, and I love that. They've been put under the thumb of God where they belong. Can I get an amen to that? And here's the reality. The world may look like it's winning for a time, but before it's over, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? All those who are pursuing the things of the world and all the things that are, you know, all the things that the world tells us, all the fears that people have. Guys, the good news is God is in control and he's faithful. He doesn't stop with the Philistines. Now, if you had a map, Israel's in the middle. Philistines are to the coast, to the west of the, of, of, so he, he defeats the army in the west. Now he's going to go to the east and he's going to defeat, by the time we get to the chapter, he's going to go east and defeat every enemy to the east, every enemy to the west, every enemy to the north, and every enemy to the south in 18 verses. He's, he's got a plan. He knows what God's called him to do. He knows this land belongs to God's people. It belongs to Israel, and he's not going to stop until it's done. And I love that heart, and I love that passion, and Lord, give us the same heart. Now notice what it says in verse 2. He's going to continue to battle. Then he defeated Moab. Now Moab, the Moabites, you know David is actually part Moabite because Ruth is sweet as honey butter. She's King David's great-grandmother. Can I get an amen to that? And Ruth is a Moabitess. And so David's great-grandmother was a Moabitess. So he's, you know, one-eighth Moabite. Now the Moabites, he had shown them some grace in the past. And the Moabites, like I said, now the Moabites are descendants of Lot, after Lot fled from, from uh, 
uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and God brought righteous judgment. We know that his daughters got him drunk and slept with him, and so the Moabites are descendants of Lot through a, 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 an ancestral relationship. And where is Moab today? It's modern-day Jordan. So the Jordan, you know, Jordan is right there near Israel, and at one time, David had been on good terms with the Moabites. Back in 1 Samuel 22, it says, Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you, till I know that God, what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So when David was running from Saul, his family, some of his family members, had gone to live in Moab. And then we don't see them mentioned anymore. And in the Mishnah, or the Mishnah, which is Jewish writings, it says that David had asked the king of Moab to take care of his parents, and the king of Moab turned around and massacred them. Now, that's, that's extra biblical writing, but it's writing from people at that time saying that the king of Moab had slaughtered his parents. Well, if that's the case, we shouldn't be surprised with what's about to happen. But what's also interesting, too, is that God had told uh, you know what the Moabites also had, had hired a prophet to curse Israel. You guys remember that? And at the, at the, prophet's, name, the prophet's name was Balaam. And he tried to curse Israel, and God wouldn't allow him to curse Israel. It's in Numbers 24. And we find out there in Numbers 24, the prophet comes back and tells him that Israel is going to overthrow Moab. Well, guess what? That's going to be fulfilled right here and right now. And it may also be in response to what may have happened to David's family. But David now sees the Moabites for who they are. They're in rebellion against Almighty God, and David is going to confront it. It says he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. And he measured them off with a line. With two lines, he measured off those to be put to death. And with one full line, those who will be kept alive. Whoa. Now, it's interesting. I look, have you ever heard that term decimated? Like an army's been decimated. Well, that word deca, it means one-tenth. An army's decimated if 10% of the army dies. I don't know what you call it when two-thirds of the army dies, because that's what's happening right here. He literally puts them on the ground, runs a line, and two lines are put to death, and he allows one line to live. Heavy duty. Now, we read stuff like this, and again, we... we People will struggle with it. Why would God do this? Why would God do this? Again, the Moabites had been warned earlier. They'd had opportunities to repent. And sadly, righteous judgment is coming. David's explaining, expanding Israel's territory. He's retaking all the land that God had given Israel. And he's fearlessly and victoriously taking on all of Israel's enemies. And yet, here we have this war against Moab that ends up again killing two-thirds of the army. And again, it can be viewed by some as being cruel. So, so the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. So David, when, when they won the victory, he would take all the spoils of war. We're going to see what he does with them. And then they had to pay taxes to David from that day forward. So he allows one-third of the army to survive, shows them some level of grace. The Moabites are still in existence, but they have to pay taxes. What does that show? That shows that they're under the control of the children of Israel. So they're going to pay tribute. We're going to see that he's going to have those who overlook these outlying areas to make sure that they stay in line. 
And it doesn't stop there. So we first we see waking up to God's calling upon your life. Has David, he's no longer hiding in any caves. Can I get an amen to that? He's not running for his life anymore. He's not questioning God. He's being obedient to what God has called him to do, even though it's not easy. And just because God calls you to do it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Can I get an amen to that? Sometimes you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. Sometimes it's difficult to have the conversations that God has called us to have. And sometimes it's something as difficult as what David takes on here. Point number two. Step out in faith, trusting God to show up in a powerful way. Look at verse 3. David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rahab, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the the river Euphrates. Now, this is Syria. So he just defeated the, the people that were in Jordan. I want you to keep all this in mind, because the same land that he defeats still, in God's eyes, belongs to Israel. Can I get an amen to that? And they're trying to get Israel to give back pieces of the land, the what small portion they already have, and then people wonder why we stand up and say, no, we don't give them back anything, because it's all God's. Can I get an amen? And it all belongs to Israel, and Syria belongs to Israel, and Jordan belongs to Israel. Amen? Not popular, biblical, though. Can I get an amen? So here he is, and he's just taken down Jordan, and now there's two parts of Syria, And he's going to enter into battle with the Syrians, the people living in Syria at that time. And so David goes out and fights them. And the Euphrates is the largest, longest river in Western Asia. And it starts in in Armenia, where the Armenians live today. It flows through Turkey, Syria, Iraq, all the way down to the Persian Gulf. And notice how far the river Euphrates is from Israel. The closest thing the Euphrates gets to to the, the Sea of Galilee is 250 miles. But it all belongs to the Lord. And David doesn't just stay where it's convenient. David gets out of his comfort zone. David is stepping out in faith, trusting that the, the Lord. He's obviously taking time to understand what God's word says, what, what land really belongs to Israel, and he's not going to leave any of it to the enemy. He's taken it all. And you know what, guys? We shouldn't let the enemy have any territory in our lives. Can I get an amen to that? You don't give them any strongholds. You don't have any areas where the enemy can just reside, where we just kind of ignore it and hope it goes away. Guys, we want to have, you know, everywhere that we dwell, that God be glorified. Every part of our heart, every part of our lives should be surrendered fully to the Lord. Amen? And then we see this picture here in David as he goes out. So why is David doing all this conquering? Isn't he getting a little carried away? 250 miles, what's wrong with it? Why is he doing this? Well, Genesis 15 On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I have given you this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. God promised the land of the Nile to the Euphrates, all to the children of Israel. And David has obviously read the word. David has heard from the Lord. And David is getting out of his comfort zone. He's simply coloring in the lines of what belongs to the Lord. From here to here, this is Israel now. So he went to the west, he went to the east. The west was uh, where the Philistines dwelt. The east is where the Moabites were. He's now up in the north conquering Syria. And he's not going to be done until he conquers the south as well. Now watch what he does when he wins this battle. David took, verse 4, from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David also hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough 
for 100 chariots. So he not only defeats the Syrian army uh, in the Euphrates, he dismantles their army. He took 1,000 chariots. He took as prisoners 700 men who rode in chariots, 20,000 foot soldiers. He kept 100 of their horses and hamstrung the rest. Now, something that's cruel that he hamstrung them. The, the horses didn't die, but what it did, they would heal up and they would never be able to pull the chariot again. And basically what he does is he defeats the army and then he dismantles the army. And I don't know how accurate this is. I'm trying to remember my history classes, but I kind of remember that's kind of what we did in Japan after World War II. Hey, guess what? You don't get to have an army anymore. You attacked us. You're going to have to worry. You're going to have to trust us to protect you. I, don't, I still don't think they have much of an army today. And guess what? That's exactly what David's doing. He, not only did he defeat them, he dismantles their army. And what's amazing about this is he could have taken all the horses for himself. You know, but some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Amen? And David's not worried about taking all the stuff, but he does dismantle their army so that they cannot come back and attack Israel again anytime soon. And he brings 100 horses with him. He brings back the chariots. You know, a chariot, to me, it's the closest thing in modern day to a tank. You know, if you're all, if you got guys running and someone's in a big old chariot with horses pulling it, and a lot of times they would put things out the side, they'd be just be taking people out. We took all their chariots. He took 100 of their horses to help with the chariots and his army now. He's taken all their soldiers to now serve with him. He's taken, and then he's taken their horses so they can never pull a chariot again. He's subduing them completely and totally. So they've been soundly defeated and dismantled. And David is obeying what the word of God says. Now, again, every time I read this, I think about my own life. And I think about our lives where, you know, you have an agag. We got a king of the flesh you've been hanging on to and you let it live when it needs to be dismantled. Can I get an amen? It needs to be completely and totally put to death. Whatever that old sin you've been hanging on to, that old sin that you just let, you let it continue to breed, let it continue to be a part of your life whether it's drugs or alcohol or you know, pornography or anger or bitterness or, or doubt or fear or whatever it is, guys, as believers, we should not protect that sinful behavior but expose it to the light and ask God to help us to put that thing to death. Can I get an amen? And that's exactly what we see David doing. He doesn't go in and tiptoe. He's not asking permission. He's obeying God. Amen? And we need to have that same heart. Does Calabasas from, you know, in the San Fernando Valley, and the Caneo Valley, and Ventura County, and do, do people need Jesus? And guys, we need to not be shy about it. Be loving, be kind, be gracious, but be bold, amen? And David is being bold. David's acting like a king. He's acting like a man who's read what the Word of God says, and he's going to obey it with reckless abandon, verse 5 and 6. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezar, king of Zobath, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. So here's what happens. When you stand up against the enemy, guess what? The, the rest of the enemy is going to help out. And guys, sometimes when you make a stand for the Lord, don't be surprised when more of the world comes against you. Now, the Syrians, he's embattled with them. The Syrians are split up in the way that, where, they, where they dwelt. So the other group of Syrians came to help. And when they came to help, it says there, that they killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the, the Syrians became David's servants 
and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So these, Samaria, this, these are, again, more of the Syrians. These are in modern day where the Armenians are from. This is the same, and the city is Damascus there it talks about. It's the same Damascus that's the capital of Syria today. And the Syrians, like today, were a nation directly north of Israel. And when they tried to help Zophah, they were defeated. And one of the things I love here, it says, The Lord preserved David wherever he went. I love that. I love that. We're indestructible till God's through with us. Can I get an amen? And David went out and stepped out in faith. And he did it in boldness. And he knew that God was with him. And guys, when we step out and get out of our comfort zone, God is never going to leave you there by yourself. Amen? It doesn't mean you won't face difficulty. It doesn't mean you might not get attacked. It doesn't mean you might not even lose, you could even lose your life standing up for the things of God. But you know what? You don't, we, our breaths are numbered. Amen? We're not leaving this place one minute before God says so. And as David is stepping out in faith, the reason that David's victorious isn't because he's a great warrior, though he is. God made him one. He's victorious because God is for him. And God's hand is upon him. And you know what? Praise God for David's example, stepping out in faith. Now, I want you to notice something, though, in verse 7 and 8. David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hadadazer and brought them to Jerusalem, also from Batah and from Barothai, cities of Hadadazer, King David took a large amount of bronze. So David's winning the battles. He's conquering all the enemies and taking all of their riches. He's forcing them to pay taxes, showing that David's ruled over them. He's disabled and defeated their armies, and he's taking away their wealth so they can't even go buy more weapons. And while that's part of the reason David takes the wealth, the real reason he's taking the wealth is he's going to take that wealth and he's going to use it and set it aside so when Solomon comes along, he can build the temple. See, David's not allowed to build a temple because God said, you are a man of war. You have blood on your hands. I don't want you to build my temple. I'm going to have someone else build the temple. But even though David doesn't build it, as a man of war, he's being faithful to do all he can to contribute to it being built. Does that make sense? So guys, even though you may not be called to do something that you desire to do, if you're really called and you're not the one that gets to do it, you should be the one that wants to help the person that's called to do it. Can I get an amen? Lord, I, okay, Lord, I don't have that gift or I thought maybe I did, but you know what? Maybe I'm not called to do this, but can I help that person? Can I pray for that person? Can I come early and help set things up for that person? Can I, can I help finance what they're doing? Maybe we're not called to be missionaries. Maybe we're not called to run an orphanage in Uganda, but we can be called to support them. Can I get an amen? We can be called to sacrificially give. And so David doesn't mope because he misses out on building the temple that he so desired to build. Instead, he used the gifts God had given him and the calling God had placed upon his life to do everything he can to put everything in place. As I said last week, it, by the time Solomon gets ready, it's going to be like Ikea. I mean, all this stuff's there. The, 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 the plans are laid out. All he's got to do is unpack it and build it. Because David, who would never see it, was faithful to be mindful of preparing a place for the Lord. So he brings the spoils. He gives them to the Lord. He takes them from the enemy so the enemy can't use them to rebuild their army. And again, he does it in such a way 
that God would be glorified. And while he would never see what would be built, he still did all he could to prepare for it. Man, I love that. Man, I love that. I know it's a secular statement, but I love when Ronald Reagan said, it's amazing how much can get done when nobody cares who gets the credit. Can I get an amen? amen? And right now we live in a time where people don't want to serve unless they got, you know, a badge. Unless they got something saying who they are and what they're doing. And unless they get some credit. And if I don't get credit, I don't want to do it. If you're doing it for credit, don't do it. Can I get an amen? You need to do it for the Lord and for his kingdom and for his glory. So, it's time to enter the battle. First thing, wake up to God's calling upon your life. Get back to your first love. That's where it starts. You spend time with the Lord. If you're in love with the Lord, if you seek his face, serving him is a get you, not a have to. Amen? The more time I spend on the Word, the more I love the Lord. And I find that, you know, if I get so busy at work and my devotional life lacks for a day or two even, I can tell it impacts my walk. Can I get an amen to that? It, just, it can be so easy when things are going on and maybe things are difficult or maybe you're sick or whatever it is and you, don't, you, you miss out on your devotional time. You're not spending as much time in the Word of God. It changes your perspective. And David's gotten to that place now where he's full speed ahead for Almighty God. We're going to still see him blow it pretty quickly here, actually. <laughs> it's coming up. But right here, we see David focused on task, called by God, used for his kingdom, so waking up to God's calling on your life, step out in faith, trusting God to show up. He went out, fought the Philistines, fought the Moabites. He went out and fought Syria, and he just was serving God full steam, and I love that heart. Point number three, seek to do God's will God's way and for his glory. Now watch what happens. When you start defeating all the enemies, people start noticing, and if you think you might be next, sometimes you're going to do something preemptive to make sure you're not next. And that's what this next guy does. Now, he's got two reasons to approach David. Look what it says here in verse 9 and 10. When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the army of Hadadezer, then Toy sent Joram his son to King David to greet him and bless him. Because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him, for Hadadezer had been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. So first thing that happens is, you've heard the saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So Toy and his army have been fighting against Hadadezer, and he finds out that Hadadezer's army has been decimated, wiped out. And so he's excited to know that. But at the same time, I doubt the toy has read Genesis 15 and knows how far that territory is going to go. And he might think, dude, we're just north of these guys. We might be next. So here's an idea. Let's go down and bring him a bunch of riches and we can thank him for, for defeating our enemy. And hopefully we can build a relationship with him so he doesn't come wipe us out next. And you know what? When somebody is walking with the Lord and is truly being used mildly by God, the unsaved world notices. Can I get an amen? They say, what's different? Why is it you're not panicking when everyone else does? 
Some of them will even approach you. I'd have coworkers that would mock our faith and call us to God Squad, but then when a difficult time came or somebody in their family was really sick, those same people that would mock you sometimes might come over to your cubicle or you know, pull you aside and say, hey, you know, can you pray for my father or can you pray for my friend? Or, and you know what? Are people looking for prayer right about now? And guys, we need to be, you know, use social media, use picking up the phone and just say, hey, hey, everybody out there, if anybody needs prayer, I'm here. Hey, here's my phone number or messenger me. I'd love to pray with you. If I can help you in any way, if there's anything I can do for you. And little things are opening opportunities for the gospel. Amen? We had a lady in our neighborhood, and I, her son needed a special diet or something, and she needed avocados and couldn't find them anywhere, and my wife saw it online, and my wife gave her some avocados, and then somebody gave us bread. And what's happening is just small acts like that are opening up opportunities for the gospel. Amen? There's a man here a few weeks ago. He was jogging out in front of my house. He started talking about the Lord. You know, God can use even the coronavirus for his glory. Amen? And here this situation is, so Toy's going to come down and greet David, and he brings all this wealth to him, bronze and silver, and he's going to help David build the temple, doesn't even know it. Can I get an amen? God will use even the world to produce his perfect will. He brings tribute that David had not demanded. It's an act of appreciation, again, likely to bring peace with David as well as to thank him for taking out his enemy. He sends his son. That's an act of faith. That's, an, that's showing that it's important. When you send your son in your place, David could have killed his son. He didn't. But he sends his son. And it's an act of respect and honor for David. Now, David's name is being made pretty famous. But we're going to see throughout all this, David's not looking to be famous. David's just looking to obey the Lord. And guys, our motivation is really important in what we do. Amen? We should do it as unto the Lord, to point people to the Lord, to give him all the praise and the glory, and again, not to be, allow ourselves to get caught up in trying to make a name for ourselves. So David has this new admirer, Toy, that had been at war, had a day's there. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. David gets a present from his new friend for defeating him. And again, this is about 115 miles north uh, of Damascus is where he came from. He travels all that distance to approach David. And guys, let's pray for divine appointments. Amen. Let's pray for opportunities to minister to people that may be, even be afar off. Verse uh, 11 and 12. King David also dedicated these to the Lord. So he's given articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. And here's what we're going to see repeatedly taking place here. David takes none of it. He wins the battles. He goes out. He steps out in faith. He gets out of his comfort zone. He goes and attacks enemies larger than his. He goes out and fights mighty fortresses. And when the battle is won and all the spoils come, he gives it all to the Lord. Guys, that's somebody who gets it. Can I get an amen? And guys, if God does something good through us, it's all because of God and nothing to do with us. Amen? And too often, it's, we got to be careful. We want to take credit. Even we'll, we'll modestly take credit. Well, I didn't really do anything, but could, tell me one more time how great I am. You know, that kind of mentality. And we got we to not fall for that. And true sincerity is always, well, the Lord did it. To Him be all the glory. And it's easy. In a work environment, in a neighborhood, you do something for somebody and they thank you, and, and that's okay. 
But you know what? When that happens, let's always take that as an opportunity to give God the glory. Can I get an amen? Somebody comes by, hey, thanks for helping me with that account. You know what, bro? To God be all the glory. Any gifting I have came from him. And you know what? He put on my heart to help you. So praise him, not me. Can I get an amen to that? Point people to Jesus every chance you get. Well, David takes the spoils, but he dedicates them to the Lord. He's not going to build an even bigger mansion for himself. He's not going to increase the gold in his palace. He's going to give it to the Lord. And you know what? That's the manner for God's own heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? If you give to, if God, if the priority of your life is to give to the Lord and for the furtherance of his kingdom, that'll be a reflection of where your heart is. You've heard me say it before. You can tell a lot about where someone's heart is by looking in their checkbook. What do you invest in? Again, we, we need to take care of our families. We need to be good stewards that way. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now let me continue reading because watch this. So it says, dedicated all to the nations which he had. You know, it says, so David dedicated these things to the Lord along with the silver and the gold that he dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued. From Syria, from Moab, from Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, from the spoil of Hadadezer, of the, the son of Rahab, king of Zobah. So not even mentioned here, along with the Moabites, right below them are the Ammonites. And he also, notice the list here, he's got Syria, this is, you know what it says? It's all the lands to the north, all the lands to the east, the west, all the lands to the east, all the lands to the south, everything from the Dead Sea all the way up to the northern part of Damascus, everything in between, and he's wiped out all the enemies. He's reclaimed the land that God had promised Abraham over a thousand years earlier. And God fulfills it through David. Isn't it amazing that God can use us to fulfill the prayer of somebody a long time ago? Can I get an amen to that? Isn't it amazing that God would choose to use frail people like us? I'll never forget the first time I went to Russia... It was actually maybe the second time I went to Russia. We went out to this little town where no Americans had been. It's called Stupina. And we go to this little town out in the middle of nowhere. And when we get there, we're the first Americans there. They kind of, they threw a parade for us. I'm there with 15 youth group kids and another adult. And we go into this town and they literally are lining the streets with little American flags. And then we, they take us into their, their cultural palace and they do like a three-hour program and they're putting gifts at our feet and the mayor gives me the key to the city. And he says, you can go anywhere you want. And I said, well, I just want to go to all your schools and give me all the students in each school for the entire day in the auditorium. That's a, other than that, I'm good. And so they did that. And then we're in the culture palace at night. But here's what's amazing. One of my interpreters was 70-something years old. And she set me down one night at dinner, and she looked me in the eye, and she said, we have been praying that God would bring some Christians to come to our town and bring Bibles and share Jesus since I was 11 years old. So Pastor Dave, you're an answer to over 60 years of prayer. And I was like 35 at the time. And isn't it amazing that God, that you could be an answer to prayer? Can I get an amen to that? Or God can use you, in David's case, to fulfill prophecy given to Abraham centuries before. Guys, it's so good that we can be tools in the hands of the master, and we can be used for, for God's kingdom and for his glory. And Lord, that should be our prayer every day. Lord, I'm here. Use me in the greatest or the simplest way you want to, Lord. I'm available. Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. Amen? And David has stepped out in faith, and now all of Israel is together. 
It's not going to last forever, unfortunately. But David did not take the spoils of war for himself, but he dedicated them to the Lord. And David's heart was focused on doing God's will and giving God the glory. And this is the type of man or woman that God can use. In the midst of defeating the enemies, David is faithful, he's fearless, and he's selfless. Guys, as we serve the Lord, we need to be faithful, fearless, and selfless. Verse 13. And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. Now, the people had sang praises to David's name before. Saul has slayed his thousands and David has tens of thousands. But David's name is being lifted up, not because David is seeking that, just because God's using David in a mighty and a powerful way. Now, again, it's important that we never allow that to go to our heads and we always remember it's only because of the Lord. It says he also put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all of Edom, he put garrisons. All the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So the Valley of Salt is located on the southeast coast of the Dead Sea. And now, this is that southern point I was talking about. He's gone north, he's gone east, he's gone west, and now he's gone down to the south. Uh, the Salt Sea. David has defeated the enemy in every direction. He's expanding Israel, and God's kingdom is growing in everywhere around Israel. So David's a man after God's own heart. He was used mightily, and the same David who had moments of fear and doubt, had fled the land, had lied to the priests, had acted like a madman, now filled with the Holy Spirit is a different man. This reminds me of Peter. Peter before Pentecost was lopping off ears, snapping when he should have been praying, and telling Jesus, not so, Lord. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and the same people that he denied Christ in front of, cursed and said he didn't know him, and went away and wept bitterly, he now stands up in front of an even greater crowd, some of the very same people that he fled from, and he preaches the gospel with boldness, and 3,000 people get saved. Peter without the Holy Spirit, and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that's the same thing in our lives. It needs to be less of us and more of him. Fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. God will never call us to do something that he won't equip us to do. Amen? But guys, we've got to die to ourselves and surrender fully to him. And David's done that here. What's tragic is King Saul was the king. And David's focus was one thing, doing God's will. Do God's will, do God's will, do God's will. That's, that was the entire focus. What has God called me to do? God's called me to wipe out the enemies. He's not stopping. He won't be dissuaded in any way. He's being faithful. He's being obedient. He's doing it for the Lord with reckless abandon. King Saul was more focused on killing David than he ever was on killing the Philistines. Saul was more focused on his own people and the anger he had, even with his own son Jonathan and others, and the priest who he had slaughtered, than he was the enemy. And this immediately, you know what this immediately makes me think of? It's the Christians who are more focused with arguing with other Christians than they are with reaching the world with the gospel. Amen? See, King Saul missed out because he was so focused on his own people that he missed out on doing what God had called him to do and God had gifted him to do. 
He wouldn't enter the battle because he was more focused on, well, Jonathan ate honey. We're going to have to put him to death. Well, David throwing spears at him and chasing him around. Kill David, kill David, kill David. He woke up in the morning thinking that, went to bed at night thinking that. Missing out on what God has for him. Guys, may we not be so busy fighting with other Christians that we're missing out on sharing the gospel with people that need Jesus. Amen? This is is an intramural scrimmage when we're talking to other believers about non-essentials. Can I get an amen? Super Bowl is going on over here. People need Jesus. Amen? We need to get out of our, you know, take our eyes off of that. I shared with the pastors today. I had a pastor that wrote online just some nonsense. And I tried to reach out to the guy in love, and he was saying, so, you know, do you know if you go go on Facebook, I shared online tonight, I have 5,000 friends. You know what that means? It goes onto their news feed. And so he was angry that other pastors' messages were showing up on the news feed, and he wanted us all to stop it because he said, only, my people should only see messages from me and from nobody else. And I tried to explain to him, well, first of all, we just shared on our news feed. I don't know what to tell you. And you're trying to steal our sheep. I'm like, well, first of all, they're not your sheep. They're God's sheep. Can I get an amen to that? And by the way, if they can be stolen... That's because they're not getting fed enough and loved enough. Can I get an amen? No one's stealing my wife because I love her, I serve her, I care for her. But if I stop loving her, serving her, caring for her, ministering to her, and providing for her, no one will steal her. She'll just leave. Can I get an amen? And I'm trying to minister, and the guy's writing back, I'm, I'm, I'm going to block you. And I'm, and he's going, I'm like, dude, relax. It's okay. You hypocrite. He doesn't understand the definition. I'm just trying to, but here's the point. This is a waste of time. Can I get an amen? amen. We're sitting here, to, and I'm just like, bro, I'm going to block you. Okay, go ahead. I'm trying to love on you, bro. They're not your sheep. They're the Lord's. And, and nobody can steal sheep. They don't belong to you. Can I get an amen to that? And, and people have this mentality. We don't view the church down the street as competition. They're our family. Amen? They're brothers in Christ. When I meet people and they say, hey, I go to this church and I love it, praise God. Amen? We want to build the kingdom. And it's so easy. King Saul, so focused on his own people, so focused on worrying that David might take his spot. So, well, David's going to, so worried about even his own son and going after, killing the priest because they helped David and all the crazy things he was doing. And he missed out on what God had called him to do was to go out and fight the enemy. Amen? Guys, let's not, let's get our eyes off of fighting with each other and start reaching out to a lost and a dying world. Amen? Saul's life was completely fruitless because he was looking in the wrong place. Guys, we need to love, love each other in Christ, encourage each other in our walk with the Lord, and not allow ourselves to fall into that same trap. Still happens today, again, as many Christians are so focused on debating each other that their lives are fruitless when it comes to the Great Commission. I have a lot of people love to debate me on things, and I'll say to them all the time, and especially, you know, Reformed theology is one of the big ones, or, or even end times, a tribulation, or whatever, and they want to debate. I'm like, you know, look, we could talk about that. How about you and I go up and down the street and hand out tracts for an hour, and then I'll sit down and talk, oh, they don't want to do that. Well, guys, that's the stuff that needs to be important. So the Lord says here, preserve David, because David was a matter for God's own heart, and we're indestructible until God's through with us. David has seen God's hand of protection, First against, I love this. Now, why was David willing to step out and fight Goliath? Because he saw God show up when he was fighting lions and bears. Can I get an amen to that? So when David stepped out and was a good shepherd, when nobody was watching, 
God gave him confidence that the Lord showed up when I fought a lion. The Lord showed up when I fought, when I fought a bear. The Lord's going to show up when I fight Goliath. Well, guess what? Now that the Lord has shown up when he fought Goliath, he knew the Lord was going to show up when he fought the Philistines. Amen? And, he knew the, and guys, every time we go through a trial, it's an opportunity for us to grow. Because every time we see God show up, doesn't it encourage us that he's going to show up again? He's going to show up again. He's going to be faithful again. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And praise God for that. God protected him from spears being thrown at him from the same table. Amen? I don't think that, I don't think that King Saul had a bad aim. I just think that God's a protective God. Amen? And he's indestructible to God's through them. God's faithfulness in past trials gives him boldness to face his enemies, knowing that God is for him. Last point. So it's time to enter the battle, waking up to God's calling upon your life. Step out in faith, trusting God to show up in a powerful way. Seek to do God's will, God's way for his glory. And finally, giving ministry away. Now, I love this. This is in the Bible for a reason. Look what happens here, verses 15 to 18. So David reigned over Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all the people. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the dude that jumps, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Abimelech, and the son of Abiatar, were the priest. Sariah was the scribe. Benaniah, the son of Jehodo, was over both the Sherathites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief ministers. So here's what happens. David is, our God is a God of order. Can I get an amen to that? So when David does this, there's order. And I think it's crazy. Here's something I hear often. Well, you know what we do at our church? We really don't have a pastor. And we just show up and we say, who's got a word? And then somebody will get up and just share something that comes to their mind at the moment. Show me that in the Bible. God has called some to be pastors and teachers. Can I get an amen to that? Study to show yourself approved. A workman indeed, read not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen? The word there means to study to the point of exhaustion. And we have this thing where it's a disorganized mess. And even in the midst of that, God could show up from time to time so that we think a mess is okay. Our God's a God of divine order. Amen? And we need to do everything with excellence as unto the Lord. So David now, their territory has expanded. They've taken over the land of the Ammonites and the Moabites and Jordan and Syria and the land of the Philistines and the Salt Sea to the south. And now it's all under the army. And, and David isn't so arrogant that he says, well, I'm the king of everything, and I'm going to do everything. Remember when Jethro came to Moses, his father-in-law said, Moses, you can't do all of it, bro. You let other people step up and be a, a part of what you're doing. So David's going to give ministry away. And I love how he does this, because it's interesting. He's kind of got his own cabinet. Notice it says, Zariah, what does he do? He's over the armies, secretary of defense. Can I get an amen? Jehoshaphat, what does he do? What does it say Jehoshaphat does? He's the recorder. I put him as the chief of staff. He's a guy, you know, taking notes and making sure everything's done in the right way. Ahitub and Ahimelech and Abiatar are the spiritual leaders. Sariah is the recorder. He's the secretary of state. And Benina and David's sons are like governors because they're overseeing individual cities. And what I love about this is the children of Israel numbered in the millions here. And here's the whole government. Pretty lean, Amen. They don't have to have, you know, all these people in the government. You know why? Because God's word was the authority. Can I get an amen? 
You know why you have to have a big government? Because you get away from God's word being the authority. And then you have to pass a bunch of laws to try to keep people in line because you abandon the word of God. And by the way, it's never going to work. Can I get an amen? When the word of God is the authority, when the spirit of God is honored, when the Lord is, is praised, when he is the one who's ruling and reigning over the people, then guess what? You don't need a ton of government officials. More government is usually evidence that there's less God. Can I get an amen? Have you ever noticed that the governments that are huge, the communists, they're all atheists? Guys, let's put God in charge. Let's all honor the word of God. Guys, if we can, handle the, if we can hang on to the Ten Commandments, that'll take care of it. Can I get an amen? If we can just obey what the word of God says, we don't need to keep passing more laws to try to fix the messes that disobeying God's word creates. But sadly, that's the case. And I love this picture right here. This great millions of people being governed by a handful because the word of God is the authority. And notice that it says what David does there back in verse 15. He reigned over them and administered judgment and justice to all of his people. Isn't that what our God does? He will bring righteous judgment, and he is a just God, and praise God for him, for his love, his grace, and his infinite mercy. See, David wasn't just a mighty warrior, but he's also a just ruler. He organized God's people, something we never saw with King Saul. Our God is a God of order. Israel was a great nation as long as they were submitted to the Lord and obeyed his word. And again, uh, you want to have a great nation follow the word of God. We don't need new laws. We just need to follow God more. Amen? The more we get away from God's word, the more government we need, the more laws we need, and the more miserable a mess it's going to be. Amen? Somebody had to run that platform. We're going to get rid of all the laws. We're going to follow 10. Can I get an amen? We're just going to follow the word of God. We're going to go back to God's word. So in closing, worship team coming up, it's time to enter the battle, to live a life the Lord has called you to. Number one, Waking up to God's calling upon your life. Guys, let's not be on the sideline. Let's not have saved souls and wasted lives. Let's get out of our comfort zone and return to our first love and make him the priority and passion again. Step out in faith, trusting God to show up in a powerful way. When we leave our comfort zone behind, we say, here I am, Lord, use me. We can trust that God will show up in a mighty way. Number three, seek to do God's will, God's way, and for his glory. Never take the credit for what God is doing in you and through you. Look for every opportunity to give God the glory. Stay humble, broken, and desperate so you're usable. And then finally, give ministry away. Our God is a God of order. Again, it's not about building your ministry, but about building the kingdom of God. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for our church family that's watching right now and will watch later. We miss them. Wish we could hug their necks. But Lord, uh, give them a hug for us. And Lord, I pray that right now that the word of God would not return void, that it would touch our hearts. That Lord, we would that. Uh, Friday doesn't change, Thursday doesn't, Friday doesn't change, Thursday doesn't count. So Lord, I pray it changes. I pray that Lord, we would take these things to heart. And Lord, we do pray for divine appointments and opportunities to represent you to a lost and dying world. May we do it with love. May we be kind and gracious. May we represent you well. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand up and worship. You can stand up on your sofa. Stand up.